This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 371, Two Spirits from the Beyond Sent to Collect My Soul, Kate Lamphere. Hello. And Tia Vasilio. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk about comic books. I just want to say before we get into things, next week's episode is going to be a live episode on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash IRCB podcast. We're going to be broadcasting our show live and hanging out. It's going to be me, Kate, and Paul. It's going to be a blast. Come bring your questions. Come harass us. Talk about comic books. People are constantly bothering us on Discord, but I'd love to have it happen in a public medium where anybody can watch the video on demand. So please join us at twitch.tv slash IRCB podcast. It's going to be a blast. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Go follow us now so you get notified when we're going to be live. But let's jump into things. I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask, and that is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been pretty good. It is, uh, I think, fourth spring here in Michigan, uh, fall spring, that is, which means that I haven't started gardening yet. What I have been doing is being obsessed with Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. So if you have any um, TikToks of of Kinej or Wesper, please send them my way. Um, It's all that I do (laughs) is watch these things. Okay, what what is that? For, I have no idea what that <laughs> is. You said you said names, and I was like, "What is she? What is she talking about?" Uh, Kanej would be Kaz and Inej relationship name. Those are two characters that <laughs> are not together yet. Question mark. Um, okay. And Wesper okay. is Wylan and Jesper, uh, very good boys that are together. Hooray. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so comic books are what we're here to talk about, although yes. a Six of Crows comic book adaptation would be delightful. It hasn't happened yet. Fingers crossed. Um, what I have read is Dracula Motherfucker by Alex DeCampi and Erica yes. Henderson. This is Tia's pick for the 2023 uh, Goodreads Reading Challenge. Tia, I loved this. <laughs> Um, This story begins with Dracula's three wives sealing him away in 1889 and then a young actress unsealing him in 17 or I'm sorry, 1947. This happens on like page one. So Um, and then this 1974 1974 is when he's unsealed. Yep. Misread that twice. I just I felt the need to speak up because the whole aesthetic is so 70s. That would have just been very confusing. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, But the the majority of the story, at least uh, like maybe the first half or so, follows a freelance news photographer who's like trying to figure out this pattern of murders. um, And the the book has got Dracula in the name. So I guess that's kind of a spoiler. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Spoilers for a book written in the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I I will get into why I loved this, but really quick, I really want to recommend that you read The Rear Matter if you read this book, because uh, Erica and Alex considered like the history of comics as as a whole medium, and also like gothic horror as a whole genre, and it it was really insightful, like with their like design and and writing process was like their plot lines and their their art um and i re-skimmed the entire book after reading this rear matter because it just like contextualized everything really nicely um the design of the book is really great in particular i loved the lettering for dracula's voice like she used like this large like dialogue or large text outside of dialogue bubbles and it was like even when you kind of saw the the character of dracula it was like this kind of lettering was like a sinister voice without a speaker kind of way like I could really hear it like this kind of like booming 
um, atmospheric kind of voice. So great design choice on that lettering. Um, mm-hmm. And then the colors as well are fascinating. Tia mentioned the year, the 70s. Um, that was really like you can see the inspiration in that. There were a lot of dark colors because it takes place at night, but then there are like these bright colors used for like scene contrast or tone and it worked really well. And they were like flatter colors. Like we're kind of used to more like kind of dynamic shading now, but, but this color choice was flatter and I think that it really worked nicely. Mm -hmm. And then there were actually a lot of characters in this book. Um, I ended up really enjoying uh, Dracula's original wives that you see at the end of the 19th century briefly at the beginning like they're all strong and determined and like kind of funny <laughs> so that was it was fun like seeing their their characters kind of like build on the page like getting to know them a little better um this is like i at least i read into this and it's kind of mentioned in the rear matter that like all of Drac- dracula's wives are are basically abuse victims and and as much as the the original wives have kind of like they're on the other side of that experience and they're like they're strong they're a team i kind of wish that like the ladies his like modern women were treated with a little bit more compassion by the rest of the characters because i mean they're they're kind of just bad guys but also they're in an abusive situation so it was kind of like a i don't know it was kind of rough to read basically that little bit of it hmm well, the, I will say I when I read this, I I really loved the color work in this book. Like I can't like I really want to just reiterate how cool looking this book looks yeah. just from a color perspective. Like Erica Henderson. And it's so funny because to me, this didn't feel like your typical like Erica Henderson book, which is awesome. Right. Like we get to see like a full range of this this creator's ability through the work that she's done across many, many books. And um, but yeah, the color work in this book is so cool. It like really hits what I think in my head of like what the 70s is. It's like oranges and purples and, and browns and stuff and yellows. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I mean, like lettering Eisner for Alex to Campy when. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, Tia, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? What have you been reading? You know, like astrologically, I've been going through it. Okay. okay. I'm just like, there's like eclipses and new moons and retrogrades and man, I am tired and like, two out of the three of my big three are super affected and then holiday who is my cat like you know it's aries is really affected so we're just gonna blame astrology for all of the stuff we've been going through the last few weeks and um hope that it gets better for us soon uh so then on top of that as if things aren't bad enough i read this book (laughs) (laughs) oh no good start and you guys like just as a general thing if I read a book for the show and I don't love it I I try to pick another book because I don't like to talk about books on here that I can't recommend enthusiastically sure um and so I didn't have time to do that this week okay that's fine so this is what I read and I just want to preface this by saying that you know not liking a book doesn't mean it's bad, right? Like not everything is for everybody and this isn't for me. And I'm going to talk about some of the reasons why it's not for me and I'm going to critique it a little bit. That doesn't mean that it's like inherently bad or anything against these creators. It's just like 
a sort of book report on why this book is not for me. So don't come for me or any of these creators because I'm not enthusiastic about it. Okay. Sure. That's my, sure. pre- my preamble for world tree W zero R L D T R three, three. All right. Everyone put your pitchforks down. Put it, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. World tree. Number one. I'm not even looking at the chat. Like I don't even want to know. Um, <laughs> This is a new James Tinney and the Fourth horror book, which is why I thought it would be good because I've liked his other horror books. Mm-hmm. Um, artist is Fernando Blanco, colors by Jordi Belair. Love Jordi Belair. In fact, I will say one good thing about this book later, and it's about Jordi. Um, Aditya Bidikar on lettering, uh, Steve Fox editing, Dylan Todd design. Could it be that this there's just too many dudes on this book to notice some of these problems and it's not Jordy's job to like herd all these cats maybe I don't know anyway let's get into it what in Elizabeth Sanders going on with this cover first of all okay um yeah okay (laughs) we'll get that out of the way yeah um also apparently this takes place next year really looking forward to that um (laughs) (laughs) and High level, the story is basically like, what if the dark web were somehow, I guess, maybe sentient and like capable of spreading like a pandemic? And the only people who could stop it are these now adults who, as kids in 1999, like went up against it and managed to contain it. But now it's out again and they're like being gathered to stop it by their super rich ringleader. But they've all been estranged for 20 years or something. Like that's sounds interesting right like okay tell me more i mean you got me that's yeah, cool okay also do you like nine panel grids love them 12 panel grids i'm falling out of my chair <laughs> <laughs> like i keep thinking of that scene and there's something about mary where he picks up the hitchhiker and he's like seven minute abs <laughs> <laughs> Niche reference, if you get that, let's be friends. But that's just like what I kept thinking in my head as I saw these 12 panel grids. Mm -hmm. If you don't like, we'll give you the the eighth minute for free. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, enough being silly. To be honest, I was really put off by the very first page. I feel so there's like this Elizabeth Sandra looking character who just is naked in the whole book that every yeah. panel that she appears in. And I really feel like the gratuitous nudity here is not it's like, OK, I get that they're trying to set a certain tone and to use gratuitous nudity in this way really, I think, sends the message to a lot of people that this book is not for you. And it's like it's not just the nudity in and of itself it's the way that they frame her right off the bat on this very first page where it's like just her nude torso cuts off her head and she's posed in this way where like you as the viewer are just supposed to be looking at her like i'm begging people to read laura mulvey please understand Mm. how the male gaze works here like it's and it's just it's just so banal it's just so like, okay, we get it. Okay. Like we objectify women and that's supposed to be edgy. Got it. Like there's one panel where we even have the mirror image behind her because God forbid we don't objectify every single angle of her body at once. And how is, I don't understand how I'm supposed to be frightened of this character as like a big bad if 
from the very first establishing page, I actually have more power over her than she has over anything because Hmm. at the end of the day, I can objectify her like some cat collar on the street. So yuck, not a good look. Do not love it. But okay, we kept... And later, I'm just gonna say, later this character appears full tits out in public again for no reason. And it's just so off-putting. It's it's the future, Tia. People can just be nude next year. Next year. year, Tits out. Just everybody. She's even got this, like, aesthetic tuft of pubic hair. Like, give me a break. (laughs) If you're gonna give me a scary naked murder lady, I doubt she's getting bikini waxes. Okay? Like, come (laughs) on and i get that they're trying to establish that she's like edgy she's like outside of the rules of society whatever okay then why does she look like a porn star with lisbeth sanders head sewn on her come on Mm -hmm. you know so like they're trying to do something but they need to like subvert it in some way or critique it in some way or like Mm -hmm. invent something better like this is just the most boring juvenile teenage edlord edgelord shit and it that's literally and it's funny because this is a book that i believe is supposed to be critiquing teenage edgelord shit in a like and people who can like look back on it nostalgically or try to write it off as just like boys will be boys or whatever like so this book is actually i think participating in the thing that I think it's trying to like critique or examine in some way by using this character's nudity in the way that they do. So anyway, there's this ring of murderers. They live stream it on the quote unquote underweb, and then they like somehow derive power from it. And this naked lady is somehow involved in it. And then we smash cut to a scene where there's a, a character and his girlfriend talking about like the toxic masculine tradition of t- internet teenage edge lordery. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, the we smash cut again to the internet teenage edge lord mass murder pipeline in action. So that's Classic. definitely what this book is about. Yeah. So just like do better with the critique, guys. And then I'm just going to interrupt my complaining really quick to compliment Jordi Belair on her color story and the way that she uses it to timeline jump because we do kind of timeline jump a little bit and that's really the only thing that tells you it's happening and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Good job. Um, I'm, fo- I'm, I'm following the story. So yeah. I'm not I'm not over here trying to be a prude and say that like all nudity is inherently bad or like I, I just think that we need to start being a little more critical of how we use female nudity because mm-hmm. Like, it just subtly reinforces violent narratives. And I think they're trying to be meta about it here, but they're not. It's just kind of trite. So I'm not going to, mm. I don't think I'm going to keep reading this book. It's, it, this is interesting because I feel like this is the first book coming out of Tinian's Substack that I feel I was kind of like weirded out about. Um, I didn't read all of it, but I remember seeing the cover and just being like, if you take the name James Tinian off of this and slap on any other, you know, male writer that's out there, I would be like, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> but with this book, I'm like, all right, I'm willing to give it a chance. And then I, I'm going to do a thing that I know is really bad radio. So just give me one second. I have to just show this to you guys on camera. I'm going to post a photo of this in the Discord <laughs> if you want to see it. I am part of James Tinian's like Substack thing where I get physical items as part of the group. I'm going to show you guys a cover that I got as part of that Substack. So just give me like one second. We're going to edit this in Magic World. <laughs> Sorry, Xander. Hold on. So so I got 
two copies of World Tree number one um, as part of this thing, right? Just because you get like the number ones of some of his only book or books that are only published there. This book, I think he's pushing really hard because I think there might be a movie deal or something. Oh, I don't know. Gross. Um, no. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that entails, but I got the regular cover, right? And it's all like shiny and stuff. And you can see this. No one at home can see this. I'm going to take a photo and post this on the internet. Um, and yeah, the cover alone is like her naked sitting on a bed. Okay, whatever. But at um, least it's but at least the way that it's framed, it's not like we're not gazing at exactly. just her disembodied torso. She's like in her bedroom, hunched over her computer. You see her back. Yes. You could tell she's naked, but we're not lingering aesthetically on it. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like that to me is the difference between what is gazy about mo- what it sounds like. And I've seen from some of the previews versus mm-hmm. like the cover, right? Like yep. showing people naked isn't necessarily a bad thing when it's like a natural thing that they're doing versus like, look at this sexy woman, right? Which is what this cover is mm-hmm. um, that I also received. Oh God. Which is just yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the outfit that she wears later in the, in the book when she turns up naked. Yeah. And so I'm going to and folks of the discord, I'll send a photo of this during the break. But like the the cover for those of you at home who are listening is uh, our main character. She's got, you know, tattoos all up her neck and down her chest. But like she's wearing overalls, but nothing else underneath that. And she's holding a knife and a gun because like that's what you do in the cyberpunk future of 2024. <laughs> yeah. Next um, year, everybody, we're, and, uh, we're all going to be wearing tits out overalls with right. a knife. <laughs> but again, her, you know, so her boobs are out and she's, it's like the handle of this knife is covering up partial over or partial over nipple. And then the overalls are kind of partially, probably partial other boob. And it's like, this is what we're talking about. What I think, or, you know, Tia was saying about this, the whole gazy thing. Like we did an entire episode talking about this, right? A very enlightening, like understanding of like what the difference is here when between like the cover that I first showed where it's just a woman kind of hunched over on her computer. She's naked, but that is not the point of the scene versus this other cover where it's like, the point is like, look at this, which is gross, right? It's um, just, it shifts the point of the book to be about titillation, through this nude woman's body instead of like whatever you know i assume reasonably intelligent meta critique that they're trying to make about teenage edge lordery on the internet mm-hmm. and I, it's funny because i think that that commentary can be done if the artist changes the way that they portray this character right right Where's her body hair? Where are her fat? Why does she look like an AI generated porn star? Like someone who's going to trick you into spending money on their digitally composited body. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a thing that's already happened. So I guess we're living in the future. <laughs> no, I know. It's, hey, next year. It's happening next year. Next year, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, sorry for the, the the huge tangent on this. I just had to show that because I have I've seen this and I have yet to read this book. And you're almost convincing me to try it so that I can be just as kind of concerned as you are, Tia. But let me let me talk about some comics that I read um, just just to maybe change the topic a little bit here. I read Swamp Thing Green Hell number one through three. This is a Jeff Lemire book uh, with Doug Monkey on art colors by David Barron letters by Steve Wands. This is one of the black label books that I think got its start like a long time ago. Like the first issue came out really, really long time ago. And now two and three came out like very fast. Um, the essential story is. The world is on the brink of a man-made extinction and the red slash green slash rot parliaments have decided to end humanity. Who will save them? If you don't know anything about DC Comics, um, you may have no idea what the hell I just said. And that's that's okay. Um, The long and short of it is 
in the world of DC Comics, there are these different parliaments of nature that represent the like humanity and living beings, the red, right? The blood that lives inside of our bodies. Um, the green represents all plant life. The rot represents the the destruction of the red to create new green, right? It's this like intermediate area area. So Jeff Lemire, when he wrote his big uh Animal Man run way back in the day during the New 52, he kind of pushed on this idea of the red and the green and the rot and all of these different parliaments of, of entities that kind of exist in this nothing space that govern their avatars that live in the world. So in, in Lemire's story, Animal Man becomes the avatar of the red. Uh, Swamp Thing is the avatar of the green. And I think this parliament of trees is not an original idea by Lemire. I think that's existed for quite a while. Um, and then Lemire and, and I think Scott Snyder kind of pushed on it and made it a little bit more fleshed out um and so in swamp thing green hell we kind of revisit this but the swamp thing is no more animal man we have no idea where they are um and so the world is ending and the because the parliaments of the red the rot and the green have decided that you know we need to we need to do a hard reset on this world and maybe we can get something that comes out of it to not destroy us like humanity did and so uh with the help of one john constantine alec uh What's his, I want to say Alec Baldwin, that's not his name, but the original Swamp Thing is brought back to life and has to save humanity. Um, and the story is very interesting. It's basically like, it's not super mind-blowing, but it's pretty fun. It's like most black label comics as far as I'm concerned. It's three issues of like, what if X and then guess what? Y happens and it's really cool. Um, it's so It makes for a pretty entertaining read for a three-issue miniseries. Um, Doug Monkey's art is like tearing up page after page after page with crazy monsters really detailed backgrounds like i maybe understand why this book took so long because doug monkey's art is incredible like the way that he draws swamp thing and the different swamp thing monsters and the red monsters and the rot monsters really really cool so if you're looking for some just plain old good-fashioned action like superhero comics you're gonna get this with this book and i think like john constantine being in the story adds a little bit of fun so you get the little mystic side of the dc universe um and yeah so i think that this is definitely a book for folks who are like looking who aren't necessarily looking for some new profound way of playing with swamp thing but it's a damn fine comic book for people who are just looking for action and a nice throwback to that like red green parliament business that lemire's animal man kind of had um and so i enjoyed just a revisit of that and seeing things from swamp things perspective instead of animal man's perspective so i thought that was pretty cool um so yeah if you're into that this is a pretty good black label book um you know i, I i'm having a lot of fun with the black label books in general as a person who doesn't read a lot of dc books i think these are pretty good and uh the, the one other book i'll talk about i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on swamp thing or animal man or anything but i've only read bits of both of them and like it was definitely intriguing enough that it makes me um think that i could read more but there are also there's also only so many minutes in a day and a whole lot of comics that i want to read yeah. more than that right so and you've got stacks and stacks of weird manga from your <laughs> library that i know yes. that you're waiting to get to <laughs> um well let me talk about one other book and then we can jump into the top of our pile um i read heart in a box by kelly thompson and meredith mclaren um which i love this book I can't believe that it took me so long to even hear about this book. Um, and I'm glad that I, I finally read Black Cloak and got caught up because holy smokes, um, this book is amazing. Like the synopsis of this book is breakups are hard, but what if you could wish your heart away, right? That's kind of like the, 
idea. Um, and spoilers, so, though, it turns out that you kind of need your heart, but like a semi-magical business who took your heart away, maybe you've distributed it in pieces and parts to other people who needed to feel things. And if we think about it too much, th- it's kind of a ridiculous concept, but it forces our main character, Emma, to live through an extremely ridiculous series of emotional things in order to get back her heart, which like really cool metaphor thing in order for someone to like relearn how to love. And um, I don't know, this was like the quirkiest, like most emotional comic I've ever read. Dark Horse said for fans of Scott Pilgrim, and I kind of want to I kind of want to just sock that synopsis in the mouth um, because I feel that to an extent. It's like oh, seven pieces of her heart and she's got to battle through seven emotional moments. It's like, I guess the number seven's involved, <laughs> I guess. Totally different tone, in my opinion. opinion, Oh, totally different tone, right? Like, Scott Pilgrim is all wacky and goofy, and this book has its quirks, and it has its bits of fun um, in, in like, very cute moments, but it is not Scott Pilgrim, but whatever. It's actually making me think of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You you nailed it. You nailed it. That is a very interesting way to, to frame it, because if you take that kind of, it's got fun, but it's very much going to wrench your heart at the same time, it ends in a very, very... I don't know, a really satisfying way that doesn't necessarily, I won't say happy, but it definitely ends in a satisfying way. Um, and yeah, it's it's a roller coaster. And I, I really love just the ridiculousness of this book. There's a common bit of like this businessman who kind of just shows up when the main character, Emma, needs something and then he disappears. And you kind of wonder like, is this supernatural? Is it a ghost? Is he a spirit? Like you don't know and you never get the answer. And that's not the point. Like the mystery of the the magics of the story is not the point. The point is for Emma to relearn how to love and understand what different types of love are. And I I just uh, it's so good. Um McLaren's art, if you if you like her work on uh, Black Cloak, I think that you may not get the same, you definitely don't get the same vibe out of this book. It's a different style. It's kind of messy. It's not as clean as Black Cloak, but I love it still the same. Like it's got a lot of passion and emotion in it. Like the the expressiveness of all of the characters is very clear and everybody's drawn differently enough. Like she she pushes such a range of characters within her style in this book that I, I'm just, again, overwhelmed with how beautiful her art style is, but it's so atypical. It's so not common comic book art. It looks very different. It feels like webtoons. It feels like something you would see in like a comic strip online, but it works really, really well for this like sequential, like longer form style of story. Um, And uh, one thing that I really appreciated is there's these in panel flashback moments um, that Emma has when during different moments in the story. And I was like, that's how I remember things. It really like clicked for me. Um, so maybe this is just like a personal bias. Just I really love the way that McLaren portrayed memory in this book. So yeah, totally love it. I need to buy a copy of it to have it at home so I can look at it and go, huh, and then have a good cry um, when the surprisingly emotional beats come up and I did I wasn't ready for it. So totally love this book. If you haven't read it, give it a chance. It's It's aimed at like a younger audience, but I definitely feel like it shouldn't be. It's kind of more of an adult mature book. Um, so yeah, totally good. I, I just want to, I have that note of for fans of Scott Pilgrim at the bottom of my notes here. And I'm like, I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that Tia, that, that bit about the eternal sunshine really, really nails. I think the feeling of this book um, more so than any other descriptor I've seen. So 
I feel like someone needs to adapt that into a graphic novel because like yeah. it's got all the weird surreal visuals that just someone could do something fantastic with. Could you could you imagine uh, a Ray Fox like oh adaptation? I'm gonna call him up right now and tell get, him. Let's he has to let's do get that. Ray Fox <laughs> IRCB original comic books right here. We're starting. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, but let's let's move on. Let's talk about books that are on the top of our pile, whether they're new, they're old, something you're just trying to read. Let's let's jump right into things. And Tia, let's start with you. What's on the top of your pile? Okay, so if anyone has like a photographic memory of every show I've ever been on, let me know if I've mentioned this book before. Because as I was picking it, I was like, I think I've picked this before and then maybe I forgot it existed. But it's also kind of new. So I don't know. Hairball, number one and two. Number two comes out May 3rd. Hairball by Matt Kent, Tyler Jenkins, and Hillary Jenkins. The uh, sort of like high level description is Junji Ito meets Hayao Miyazaki. And it's like a little girl with an evil cat Mm -hmm. or or is it an evil cat? I don't know. <laughs> Gotta read the book and find out, which apparently I never did, but it sounds familiar. Like, have I talked about this book before? I, I think you did. I think you did. Um, but it's okay because the new issue is coming out, you know, and that's that's totally fine. I'm very much I've Nick Nick also read this, or maybe he mentioned it, and that's maybe why I'm thinking of it. But um still, this is like a this is like a match made in heaven. Like Tyler Jenkins' art totally works with animals, so like I'm all yeah, for it. Yeah, I love Tyler J. And also, I just have to say, like, there is no such thing as an evil cat. If a cat seems evil, it's 100% like you. You're the problem. It's you. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I was looking at the previews for this, and this book just looks super cute. Like, I'm I'm very excited to see, like, the Jenkinses, Hillary and Tyler, working with Matt Kent to do something that maybe isn't as, like grounded right like i feel like their last couple of books like apache delivery service um and uh what was it grass kings was like really yes. like grounded grounded stories and like i love those books like i especially like grass kings nick had to like knock me in the head a couple times to read that book but i finally did and i really loved it um whereas this one feels like it's kind of got like a mystery to it and i i'm very excited to see where it goes yeah yeah i i think the art is really it's very appealing and kind of like works with the story um Mm -hmm. theme that as it's presented and you know i think that if you like threw some darts at a wall with like a bunch of names on it you couldn't do better than junji ito meets hayao miyazaki yeah 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 which almost feels like opposite sides of the spectrum so like maybe we're working with like a magnet really i don't know maybe just because i'm a cynical adult but i feel like all of the whimsy in miyazaki's work is always grounded in horror and like Mm. darkness but i'm just a dark person so maybe i i just like see it every i don't know no I, i i totally agree i think when Miyazaki goes dark, right? When he wants to he wants to talk about evil in his stories, he is not light about it, right? There is no there is no politeness to the evil that he represents in his stories, right? Like the uh, I'm thinking of what is it, Nausicaa of Oh, uh, for sure, yeah. Where like the evil of the forest, right? Like is 
not something to be trifled with at all. You know, like it's a it's a Lord of the Rings level Sauron. This is pure evil. There's no redemption. It is just evil um, level. And I think I totally see you with with that. Junji Ito just to me is like there's a difference between like this is evil and this is this is going to eldritch horror mess with your brain yeah. forever. <laughs> you know, even like Totoro, I've read. You know, Miyazaki says this is not true, but it's the fact that you could read into it. I think says a lot. People have mm. been talking about a theory that um the totoros are actually like um spirits of the dead this is a great gonna be a great like segue later into the topic of this show but that, sure. the, that the little girls did drown and that this the all of the totoros and the cat bus and everything are like um some sort of like ferrymen almost or like harboring harbingers of the dead and they're trying to like help them transition over to the dead when they are reunited with their mom it's because she's dead too etc what yeah <laughs> I'm You're telling you, rewatch re- the. Am I rewatching? Rewatch it. it. It totally checks out. Miyazaki's like, no, that's not true. But he <laughs> is also like, like that. He smokes a cigarette. He's like, anime was a mistake. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well. Okay. Tia, report back to us on this hairball book. Um, and now I have to go watch my neighbor Totoro and reevaluate my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kate, <laughs> what's on the top of your file? <laughs> Uh, also a book having to do with, uh, people guiding you through death. (laughs) Okay. All right. Cool. There's a theme here. (laughs) Um, I, I am looking forward to Grimm number 10. This is written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Flaviano, colors by Rico Renzi and letters by Tom Napolitino. Yeah. Um, I recently read the first volume um, which was issues one through five, and I and I really loved it. Um, the colors had like this this punk or the colors and like this kind of punk influence for the character design was really great. Really worked for me, and I'm glad that I read that just in time for this this next arc to wrap up. So then hopefully my library will be getting probably the full volume. Maybe <laughs> that would be great and uh, read it all at once. If not the issues, I think we're we're individually on Hoopla. I'll have to double check that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have uh, volume one checked out on Hoopla, so I'll probably reread that and then try to wrap up the series before it checks back in. So hopefully I'll be reading that pretty quick here. Um, yeah. What are you excited for, Mike? Um, well, I guess before I get into what I'm excited for, let me shout out some folks that are hanging out with us on Discord. As always, if you're if you're hanging out with the Discord and we record these episodes, you can get your book on the top of your pile shouted out on every single episode. We do it pretty much every Sunday, so make sure you're here. Um, this week, we've got Danny hanging out with us, who's reading Batman 900, a.k.a. Batman number 135. Paul G. is reading The Brandenburg School for Boys number 5, which he said was the last issue, I believe. Um, Hannah is reading Gotham Central. Uh, and Kev is getting back on the One Piece bandwagon with issue, chapter 144, I believe he said. So good luck, Kev. Godspeed to you. There's just almost a thousand chapters ahead of you. So you've got plenty of runway um, for a really, really good time. As for me, I am reading Peacemaker Tries Hard number one. This is written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh, colors by Jordi Verlaire, letters by Becca Carey. I mean, this is is Kyle Starks doing a comedy book about Peacemaker, and I'm really hoping it's going to be as fun as the Peacemaker TV show. Um, the last Steve Pugh book that I read was The Flintstones, and that was pretty solid. I mean, I don't read a lot of DC books, despite me constantly saying that and reading more and more DC books. I'm not, like, in the DC universe, you know? 
so when I see books like this come out, I'm like, let's try it. It looks fun. The cover looks goofy. Um, the story is about Peacemaker who wants to try to be a normal superhero. Uh, unfortunately, everyone, including the bad guys, thinks he sucks at superhero stuff. But when busting up a terrorist ring introduces Christopher Smith to the cutest thing to ever walk awkwardly on four legs, he finds unconditional love. He's been denied his whole life. That is until his dog is kidnapped right out from under him by a supervillain who has some very unsuperheroic un plans for Peacemaker's brand of ultraviolence. So we're going to see what's going to happen. I'm excited to see what Kyle Starks does with a goofy character like Peacemaker. I feel like they're doubling down on this whole thing from the Peacemaker TV show and from the Suicide Squad. So let's do it. Let's let's try it out. I feel like Kyle Starks is usually he he's on the upper half of of pretty good comic books um for the most part so i'm excited to see what he does with this book and um we'll see it's probably gonna be fun danny's laughing at me in the chat he says i'm mike dc guy rapping now and i don't appreciate that <laughs> don't appreciate that one bit <laughs> dc stands for don't call me that <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. Um, okay. So with that, let's let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to take a hard left turn on this episode and talk about death in comic books. So you've been warned, but we're going to talk about that when we get back. So BRB. For our show this week, we are talking about something a little grim put that in there for me xander uh we're talking about what we i was asking the question of what's the best depiction of death in comics right so i'm gonna just throw a big content warning here up front today we're gonna probably be talking about death people passing on all the business associated with that uh as well as like the fictional representations of that right i have a a very interesting picture that i want to bring up at least before the end of the discussion that i will again put in the show notes uh but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about death and the things that encompass that. But I think I wanted to start things off with this idea that I think know we've touched on with the show before, which is superheroes don't really stay dead, um, especially the X-Men nowadays. You know, basically the X-Men are immortal. Um, they, they can when they die, they are brought back with this very magical, definitely scientific, mystical thing of there's an egg and then someone puts the egg through time and then someone injects DNA into the egg. Um I, it's very egg centric. I mean, that is how babies are made generally. <sighs> yeah, but like it's not the same because uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. But uh, it, so it's really interesting, you know, to think about superheroes when it comes to death, because I think we as experienced comic book readers and even inexperienced comic book readers know that when a character dies, they don't really die. So the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about to get this started was like, with this I, this idea of death being like the final thing, it's always the looming threat over main characters' lives. Like, does it really even mean anything? Is that really a stake anymore in comic books? So uh, how do you guys feel about that? Like, is death really even meaningful anymore in comics? Superhero comics, I guess. Would we have the example of Uncle Ben and, and uh, Spider-Man, who is almost, and uh, Batman's parents, who it's like, these are both examples of of characters who had to die to like jumpstart the hero's yeah. journey but like once the character is a hero yeah it's like yeah your point is there like they don't stay dead right well because the th what it means for them to die is that they are fallible and the basic premise of a superhero is that they are in some way 
infallible and that's how they protect us. Mm -hmm. So even if they come back, like the fact that some way of getting around their infallibility occurred, I think is still an emotional beat in the context of superhero lore and what it what those stories are supposed to do for us right well i was i was reading an article in preparation for this episode of like it's called death in superhero comics what does it even mean this is from book riot um and i you know the the the, i thought the article was going to be a bit more insightful but it was kind of just like death in comics is a common trope and uh maybe they shouldn't use it as often as as it's done and i'm like Okay, so like I was looking for something more, but they did have a line at the end that's like these deaths need to be exceedingly rare, but built up well and need to last for a while in order to have a real effect. And as it is now, they're just another tired comic book trope, which like is true. But I think to Tia's point, like some of these some death in comics, especially the superhero comics, is like an earned thing that has meaningful impact, right? Like when characters die, like when Bruce Wayne died for a while we had this whole change of pace of the story, right? And it actually like had an impact in that we got to explore characters who were never able to take the spotlight because Batman was always there. You know, like when Captain America died, changed the entire landscape of of comic books. Even for someone like new to comics as I was at the time, I was like, oh, wow, they just killed an icon. And I barely even know who this guy is, you know? Um, you know, the, the ramifications of character death like should be impactful. And I think... It's it's unfortunate when they aren't, I guess. Who would you kill if if you were handed the keys to the kingdom right now <laughs> and they said you could kill any major superhero character and they're going to stay dead? Who would you pick? I... Come back to me. <laughs> yeah. Someone come back to me. <laughs> um, I think... Actually, I think Professor X. I Ooh. think I would probably, you know, because let's oh, let's just let me one. play in my wheelhouse, right? Kill Professor X, and I mean, in that case, you have to kill Magneto too. You can't kill one without the other, right? Get rid of these paragons of the X Men universe and let them let the rest of the world play in this idea, right? Because I know Professor X was dead for a while, and Magneto was dead for a while, and it blah blah blah. But like, actually, make it worthwhile not don't just have this limping by storyline of of oh we have to keep professor x's dream alive like we've proven in the krakoa era of x-men that professor x's idea of the dream is not a good one um therefore the x-men should be able to explore things however they want and they should go back to their factions and all this other stuff because if if we're gonna do something that's meaningful and explorative within this this universe of the x-men like get rid of these paragons who people keep falling back to to be like well we can't do that because it's not part of the dream it's like such a tried and overused like thing within these stories that are just like that doesn't actually meet professor x's dream it's like well your interpretation of the dream it's like listening to people argue about the bible um anyways i'm gonna let me step back <laughs> before i go too far with that argument but like yeah I, that's what i would do i think i do think of professor x and magneto as being something of like a team like you can't have one without the other which i'm sure that they have yeah. you have had one without the other in the comics oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah like if you were to do a, a permanent removal i do feel like you're right that they would both have to be gone mm-hmm mm-hmm Danny's pointing out some of my the, the the problems in my argument, but I don't want to spoil things for people. Okay? <laughs> you know, Sorry, I Danny. keep thinking about it's interesting that like so we're we are talking about if you remove the like in a, in a hierarchy like the top of the hierarchy, 
Another death in comics that I think really affects people is not, not when the main superhero character dies, but like when the person they love the most dies. So, you know, like Kate mentioned Uncle Ben, for example. Mm. I'm also thinking about um, Robins. <laughs> Robins, plural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, because I think that there is there's also a lot of impact that quote unquote side characters. That's very heavy quotes that I'm putting here um, can have on a story because they are proof that like not everyone is safe, despite what the reader or even the main characters may think. You know, like I think to your point, Tia, when a Robin passes, <laughs> <laughs> when a Robin passes, Batman is starkly reminded that like even his closest family are not safe from the horrors of Gotham, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like, and I think the problem is that like when it comes to superhero comics, a lot of the times those character deaths aren't as meaningful as maybe character deaths in other comics, right? Um, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at here is like superheroes don't stay dead. But when you read other comics beyond the spectrum, even even fictional comics, right? We don't have to touch on nonfiction, at least not yet. Um, but <laughs> looking at you, what, Wictiv. <laughs> but yeah, Wictiv is a, is a perfect example, right? Like though the deaths of those characters had not only great story impact for the people involved, but like meta narrative, you know, implications as well. Also, right? you, they tell you at the, at the beginning of the story, by the way, all these characters are going to die. And yet mm -hmm. somehow you just hope it's not going to happen. Like, yeah. I remember reading every, every single issue. I would just be like, but they're not, but they're not really going to kill. Like, that's I, everyone's favorite character. They're not really going to do it. Like, exactly. Because they told us already that they're going to. So now the, like, now the plot twist is going to be that they don't die. Right? Right. No. Well, and we as readers never want to believe that what we're being told is the absolute truth when it comes to a story, um, because there always has to be an exception. Otherwise, why is the fiction interesting? You know, um, I, I think even like even as a younger reader, when someone boldly tells you oh, this is how the story's going to go, you know that that's maybe not even the case or you're tricked once and then you never trust an <laughs> author ever again. <laughs> Um, so yeah, to, when, when it comes to Wicked and Divine, it's like, there's no way all of these characters die, right? You can't, it, 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 to me, I think when I read it, it was, there's no way they all die. Maybe some of them, but not all of them, right? And of course, I read this book to the end, and I saw what happened, so. Wicked. Um, but then also, I think there's a lot that you can do still to make a story out of that, like, depiction of what is what is it like to be in the afterlife or what is it like to not exist like i mean spoilers i guess for wiktiv but like a lot it's revealed that a lot of the reason for the events in that book are because of one particular character's like desperate desire to exist mm. and so the and then of course um the creative team Oh, I'll just mention all their names because we haven't yet, but it's written by Kieran Gillen, art by Jamie McKelvey, and colors by Matt Wilson. And so they do the most incredibly cool, like formal things. Like they really play with the form of comic books as a medium to explore like existential dread and like mm -hmm. the fear of not existing and like the the weight of mortality and immortality and and how that impacts 
the decisions that you make and what kind of person you are. So, um, I mean, and I really love comic books for this because, you know, I mean, and film to a certain extent too, but film is so so much more expensive to make. I think not that comic books are not expensive to make. I I know that it, sure. it costs a lot for an artist to draw a book, for example, but like, you know, when you, when you're not having to worry about things like actor safety or special effects budgets, and you could just really d- draw whatever concept you come up with. And then you have like, you know, if you go on Tumblr, you can read all of Kieran's writer notes um, where he talks about playing with form and the nine panel grids, nine panel grids and watch me, <laughs> you know, all of that, you know, it just like how they, how they actually use the medium of comics to explore death and all of these different aspects of how death affects us. Like, um, you know, I think comics are really uniquely good medium for that. Totally. I mean, and I think that's that's kind of why I wanted to, you know, bring this topic to the table because I think that there are n- numerous number or there's a huge number of stories that are about this topic or you know walk around this topic. I mean, like, and especially when it comes to you know, like I said, superhero books, it's like there, it, death is constantly on the line, constantly, constantly, almost to the point where like I'm numb to it. Whereas like there are other books, you know, that are out there like Wiktiv or or you know, The Walking Dead, for instance, right? Like let's yeah, let's bring undead. back that. Yeah, and, and the yeah. undead being this huge thing that there is a worse thing than death in some ways, right? Coming back as this horrific monster in death or after death is almost like a torture to yourself because you know how it's going to torture others. And, you know, the way that death is used in the Walking Dead TV show or it, excuse me, in the, in the comic book and in the TV show, this looming thing of, you know, that Kirkman establishes very early on that no one is safe. And anyone could go at any time is adds this like level of suspense to the story. And so like, you know, when main characters die in that book, I remember every single time just being absolutely shocked, appalled, angry, like putting the book down and saying, I'm never reading this shit ever again. And at one point that eventually stuck. Um, But uh, still, it's like death is there. And then, of course, we've got this this level of like undeath, this thing that that is that is beyond death, but you are still alive, but you are not you, right? Which is a like bastardization of life um, that I think, you know, we've been playing with in fiction, not just in comics, but like in general for 50, 60, 70 years, if not more, um, at least in the modern like style of things. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know, Tia, I know you've got some thoughts on this, but I just like... That's a really interesting thing to contrast with like superhero death isn't permanent but that if you compare that to like horror books where you come back as a zombie or something and like you know that death isn't permanent either but in this like really horrifying way Mm -hmm. well i mean it's it's different than what was that zombie movie that came out with uh uh the the kid from skins oh man i'm gonna blank on this all day Uh, are you talking about I am talking about that one. You, I know exactly okay. what you're thinking. Kate, you, it's on the tip of both of our tongues right now. Okay, wait. Do some charades. Let me see. <laughs> okay. The movie is about... A, all right. Let's start with this. It's about a boy. It's start there. It's the little boy from that movie is in Nicholas it. Holt? Warm Nicholas Holt. Warm Bodies. Warm Bodies. Thank you. We got there. <laughs> Warm Bodies is an example <laughs> of someone becoming a zombie, but like they still get to live their life in a way. And it's it's heartwarming in that 
in that way but that's like a totally different thing like a i would have never found you otherwise blah 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 it's this horrible situation we found ourselves in and yet here we are coming together to be in love yeah even that movie or book um depicts like it's a book yeah he his memory of himself before he was a zombie i don't know that it ever comes back i mean i haven't listened or read any of the sequels but but the one book that was uh, made into a movie, I don't think he ever remembers who he is. So like he does die and he knows that he died. Um, but yeah, he's That's like so living interesting to life. then think about like eye zombie, the Chris Roberson book, eye zombie, yeah. where yeah. like memory and zombieism is connected in the way where uh, when she eats the brains, she absorbs all of their memories. Right. Yeah. No, that's a perfect comic example of, I think, this idea that we're talking about of there being a second life after this one but this is not but that not being as like horrific as like walking dead zombies or 28 days later 28 days later zombies where you are no longer you and that is the horror i think yeah i mean i, mean, I think that what we're talking about here because it occurs in both examples even though one is a little more heartwarming than the other is the loss of autonomy yes yes totally totally um, and I, I mean, <laughs> to get back to like the, the title subject that I put here is like, what is the best depiction of this? Um, I mean, I think this is kind of it. It is grim. Right. But that is like where I think the fear of our of death in general comes from is this no longer having possession of this mortal life that we live. Um, and so like even something like warm bodies is kind of terrifying in a sense that you no longer have this sense of self, but you are still alive. But are you still you? Is that the same person which gets into a much bigger existential question of like, what is a you? You know, what does it make? What makes you who you are? Um, but I don't know if we want to necessarily go there. If there were other things you guys wanted to talk about. I think that about. that circles back to the morning aspect of it too, you know, like, do, you know, the a way that we comfort people who are grieving is to talk about the the people who they've lost because it's like memory is what keeps them alive. Like that's a platitude that we say to people when we're, you know, participating in some kind of grief situation. And um, so I don't think that you can untangle memory, remembrance, death, autonomy, um, permanence, like those are all concepts that in one way or another, every single depiction of death in any medium, but comics, I think is a really uniquely interesting one. Like all of those themes are just, you can't untangle them. Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, also, yeah, it's, there's it's, a theme that we haven't mentioned yet, but Mike, I know you wanted to talk about, which is sex and death. <laughs> what? It, it, okay. So technically, yes, that is that is where I eventually was going to lead things to. Um, there is this common, common, common depiction, right? Even even because I didn't I don't know. I can't speak to it because I've never read it. And at this point, it's it's a it's a it's a pillar of who I am. I haven't read Sandman. Um, <laughs> and Same. So I can't talk about death as a character, right? However, looking at that character, looking at other depictions that we've seen of death, right? If we're, if we're talking strictly about fictional depictions of this character within comics, um, death as a concept or less of a concept and more of as a, a thing, a person that we can interact with and, and bargain with. Right. Um, you look at a character like, uh, lady death, right. Or who is this, this pale hair and long haired, busty woman, right. You look at death from Sandman, who is this kind of petite, like, uh, younger woman um, and then and then of course the best depiction of death that I've found so far which is this extremely busty 
very curvy, very fit skeleton woman who is somehow has no skin, but also has all of the I'm going to say armaments of skin um, <laughs> underneath clothes. And I don't know how it's possible, but that is how death has been per- portrayed in the Marvel universe. And it's very, very disturbing. But like there seems to be this very like strong connection between like Tia said, sex and death, or for some reason, like this sexual fetishization fetishization of death that comic book creators put into their comics where they want death to be extremely sexy um and extremely like appealing to the eye um and i don't know where that comes from but maybe that's because i can tell you i was gonna say tia i feel like you know (laughs) (laughs) so well the first thing i i want to point out and mike you may be aware of this because you've been to the louvre so you're you're (laughs) like an honorary french person i I already know you're talking about so don't worry about it (laughs) but there's a euphemism for an orgasm in french le petit mort which is the little death ah yes ah yes yes yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) um and so i keep thinking of of le petit mort but also um there's a really strong tradition throughout art history that goes all the way back to antiquity and beyond antiquity and beyond um, <laughs> the Buzz Lightyear art history <laughs> class, um, which is that you personify concepts as women, right? So mm-hmm. like winged victory, is, you know, like the, you've seen the Nike of Samothrace at the Louvre, I imagine. Yes, um, of course. Yes, you know, but like, and 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 so that like becomes established in art history, like you know, thousands of years ago. And as we get into modernism um, and like the nineteenth century, it does take on a, a sort of sensuality where it's it's not just like oh let's pick an aesthetically pleasing way to personify this concept but it also starts to take on the like more social political attributes of like what do women's bodies mean in society Hmm. and so i think that's why it starts to get why, why why a personification of death is like sexy (laughs) because at this moment in history um and in art history that is what women's bodies mean i mean i was gonna just go with the lowest brow of idea on that but i appreciate i appreciate (laughs) the explanation here um because you know isn't isn't death just sexy isn't it isn't it cool to die (laughs) i was thinking like when do you feel the most alive (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's a comparison <laughs> sure sure um yeah it's, it's so it's it's interesting to see like I, I as i was just digging through the list of like depictions of death in comics i was going like as just right at face value of this topic as i could a lot a lot a lot of depictions that are not just the grim reaper are typically like these very feminine um like of the era like styled women who are just like who are lo- are looking at you in this very like alluring flirtatious way and are standing in a way that accentuates exectu- their curves and things of that nature it's like it's like writer or artists are begging the reader to stare at this thing 
because it is meant to be like gazed upon, right? To go back to kind of what we were talking about before with World Tree, um, like I don't know why characters are drawn like this, but uh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe these guys are just horny for death. <laughs> Danny wants to know if Thanos commissioned this episode. <laughs> I mean, like that's well, that's the bit. Okay, so I did search like Thanos death because I wanted to look into that, and of course, I come across this line. Thanos and Deadpool are both in love with death. Because of this, Thanos once cursed Deadpool with an inability to die. And I don't know how Deadpool, uh, I guess he can never meet death. Maybe that's the whole point or whatever. But like, I guess, like, wasn't Deadpool like, can he not die anyways? I don't know, man. You know, what's really interesting about this, too, is like Thanos is a really powerful entity in the Marvel Universe. And Mm -hmm. so... Um, in order, there's a really interesting thing I think that happens in like hetero um, longing, we'll say, where okay. like a powerful, the one thing that a powerful man does not have and cannot get by just inherently being a powerful man is a beautiful woman, like, or, or at least that is that's the sort of like possession that from a certain angle you could say like all of the other power that they accumulate kind of is like so that they can acquire the possession of beautiful women Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um which is like the crown jewel of their power in some way and so it's interesting to me that like you could argue that being having some kind of control over death would be the most powerful thing that you could have but in order to make it make sense in that hetero trope like we all it, like if death were ugly it wouldn't not, it would not make sense for thanos to want death i yes i am following completely what you mean right there is a yeah there's like a a weird like gross possession thing about a a, a woman's body that powerful men would want <laughs> so why not just I'm portray death as like this very attractive thing yeah there's like this is going to go off on a slight tangent, but Please. there's a cover that I'm thinking of. It, and I think it's a Silver Surfer one where um, Thanos is like on a throne and it, it's giving Jabba the Hutt where there's like sexy death with him and then like <laughs> Silver Surfer like in bondage at his feet. And what? I have a whole thing that I want to write about how like it Thanos and silver surfer are like a whole thing about masturbation but um <laughs> but about le petite mort but we can <laughs> someone can commission that episode maybe <laughs> right 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 <laughs> you can join our patreon today at the ten dollar tier and commission le petite mort the episode <laughs> I think it's an Infinity Gauntlet cover. I'm like obsessed with finding this now because I can picture it so in my mind. Danny, come on. You know every single cover of every single thing. Oh, wow. Danny Thank you, Danny. It. Wow. <laughs> Good for Danny. That's the Silver Surfer. What is this? Issue number 56 from uh, way back in the day. It's an Infinity Gauntlet crossover. Wow. That's amazing. That was amazing detective skills. Holy smokes. Danny is like the comics encyclopedia personified (laughs) and we appreciate him we appreciate him so much but look at this cover right like she's sitting on his lap in Mm -hmm. his throne and then there and then um silver surfer's down here looking like Gollum on a 
chain leash with a collar at his feet. It's just how, how is a guy that ripped like <laughs> under captive? That's all I'm wondering. Like he must he must know. He must understand. Like it's it's a whole thing for them. This comment um, like was oh, a yeah. dollar. Times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this whole thing of like Thanos looking at himself in the mirror while he's like smashing with silver sword. I don't know. Commission the episode. Commission the episode. <laughs> um Yeah. Well, you know, that's a it's a fun tangent. You know, again, sex and death. They're very related. I did really enjoy I guess- the the persona of death in Grim um by Stephanie Phillips Flaviano that I mentioned in the first half of the show. And mm-hmm. that's because once you finally actually meet death, um this this one's a little bit of a spoiler, he's He's under house arrest. He's like a like a retired dad who just stays home. I mean, because he has to. Like a whole thing has happened in universe, but like he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And like, I really enjoyed how that was different than than both the sexy personification of death, or alternatively, this like when I think of death as a character, I think of like a large, like um, very gloomy, scary looking guy in a cloak, which is also, you mm-hmm. also see someone who looks like that in this grim book, but the actual guy who is death is just like a dude. Like he's just, <laughs> just and a guy. Guy. Bill and Ted's bogus journey. That That's like the best depiction oh, yeah. of death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, I'm trying to think of like, other depictions of death that, I'm, that are like maybe not these hypersexual versions of death that we keep circling back to, if only because like they they are the most common. Um, but and I Kate think like has some, oh sorry, I, I was just gonna say like the 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 other thing I was thinking of is like uh, Daniel Warren Johnson's do a power bomb doesn't have like a direct like one to one like death representation, but death is like a core piece of that story. Um, and at the end, I mean, spoilers for the end of that book, but like they do fight God at the end. And there is this question about like, can you bring someone back to the back to life after they've died? Like that is kind of like the big thing of the story. And I love the way that 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 idea is portrayed for multiple people in that book. Um, and I was also thinking about like God Country by Donny Cates. Um, you know, I, I know I've just I just said a Donny Cates book out of my mouth that I read and I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but I I did like the way that that book portrays this one man's perseverance in trying to avoid death. Um, and death doesn't come to him as like a grim reaper or anything. It comes to him as like these celestial outsider things. And it's something that he has to fight back against. And, you know, I won't spoil the end of this book, but like the way that that is resolved is almost like calming in a lot of ways and i i appreciate how different writers approach this idea of of death um and it sounds like grim is also taken like a different angle yeah. to say like there isn't just like this this cool factor to death death is a thing is it is a it is a person it is a normal thing that everybody has to deal with and it seems like everyone has to deal with an old man at some point <laughs> like that's just that's just life. i really appreciate <laughs> this book i think in general there's like there's been a lot of grim reaper stories in in pop mm-hmm. culture lately and i really like i really like reapers like there is this commonality between <laughs> all of all of them that i've seen literally all of the grim reaper characters that i have seen lately in pop culture have been have been characters where there are multiple grim reapers so you get different people who are assigned to like different souls to guide them through death um which says mm. something about like 
like maybe that's kind of a stand in for like how we all have different beliefs about at the afterlife, maybe. But also like it just in terms of storytelling, it gives you like this kind of group dynamic where you still have like these characters who are stand ins for death. But then you can still have like your fun buddy comedies or <laughs> office dramas mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, There's like two graves is a good example yeah. too of a recent yeah. one. And what I love about Reapers also is that they are really morally neutral. And so you c- there are infinite stories that you can y- use them for with the idea uh, that like their moral neutrality like could it be corrupted what if a reaper goes rogue what if a reaper falls in love with you what Mm -hmm. if you know what if but like the archetype of them is that they're morally neutral right yeah it's that reminds me of that uh that show that was on hbo uh dead like me oh i love that show like what a quirky little weird show about a bunch of reapers who are just like well i it's my job to go you know take care of this person and again there's a neutrality to it that's like kind of the core of the show is that like we have to be neutral we have to be we can't take sides just because we like someone doesn't mean we can't stop them from dying you know um and of course we i think the the appeal of shows and stories like that is that we all wish that there would be a reaper who's on our side that says like oh maybe i'm not going to take this person today you know um or who's you know on the side of a family member on the side of like a friend or something that is maybe would have unfortunately passed away but this reaper was like oh i'm gonna take a little bit of a pity yeah. right on this person for a moment I also what's um, interesting about that is that it And I think actually this is like a driving assumption that rules the world, but like the idea that it's always better to be alive than to not be alive is an interesting one to me Mm. because we have, we really don't know that for sure. Sure. And we have no way of knowing all we know is that we're scared of the unknown and that we will miss people probably because we have to leave them. We're pretty Mm -hmm. sure that's how that works. Yeah. But we don't know. The Reapers, like, like, first of all, all in all of the situations I'm thinking of, they were they were people before they were Reapers. And sometimes they remember <sighs> being people and sometimes they don't. But but first yeah. of all, if you're if your soul is being met by a Reaper, then you're kind of like in this middle space where you haven't quite died yet. Like you're still being guided to the afterlife. You get to like mm-hmm. reflect or you get to see the people that you loved as you like walk by them. So you have this middle place. But then also if you become a Reaper, um yeah you're like you're still alive in a sense like you're still um you're still around you're still experiencing basically um liminal mm-hmm. spaces are the best because it takes you out of you, the responsibilities of your life but you are not yet expected to acclimate to something new right yeah this all makes me feel um a a strong sense of existential dread oh no uh, i know I- <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to make sure that we gave Kate a chance to mention some of the nonfiction books about death that she read. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Um it's getting kind of long, so thanks for <laughs> Yeah, no, I I yeah, thank you, Tia. Um first I wanted to to talk about In by Will McPhail. This is this is actually fiction, but it's it's fiction in a way where it's slice of life. Like this this mm-hmm. feels like it was drawn from Will McPhail's experience, at least in some way. Um so I I that both books I'm going to talk about have someone dying of cancer. So fair warning for that one. Um, first, um, and like, I feel like uh, this book is not really about the death, but it is kind of the, um, the climax of the book where he discovers that his, his mother has cancer and it's a, it's a good spoilers. depiction. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to spoil both of these pretty well. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a good depiction of like how, 
how quick you can lose someone, even if it's even if you know that it's coming. Like um, he finds out that his mom is, has cancer, so he tries to spend more time with her. Like it's accurate. It's accurate in the way that I experienced losing somebody to cancer. Well, like you know that it's coming. You you know that you have some time with them. You you try to use that time while they're still here, but like you have to continue living your life, and and it's it's really difficult showing that you know that this thing is coming but you still have to like go to school and go to work and like maintain your other relationships Mm -hmm. eat sleep like um and so i feel like this book um was a good depiction of death in the way where it affects a person that is going to experience the loss of someone i i do feel like this book moved really quickly through like the funeral and everything like he fi- like he finds this out and it's only a couple of pages later where where it shows you that he's moving on um and yeah it's yeah moving on is like yeah a, like the afterward yeah 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 um that's really interesting because like i i just was talking about the the sort of quietude of of the liminal space but yeah like the the people who have to say goodbye to you don't get the respite of the liminal space yeah Mm, yeah um and then the the second book that i wanted to talk about this one is a memoir so this is nonfiction. this is called dancing at the pity party a dead mom graphic memoir so that tells you what it's about (laughs) this is this is by tyler fetter um and this is another book where her mom dies of cancer. Um, and it's the entire memoir is about this. Like, this is not a detail of the story. This is about like her finding out that her mom has cancer. She's in college. So she's like half half of the country away, knowing that this is happening, seeing her mom every couple of months slowly, slowly dying. Um, and and it shows you her plan like her planning with her family the funeral and she's she's jewish which was really um like cool i mean it's not cool that she has to like experience this (laughs) awful thing but it was cool for me to read how like jewish people grieve and how it's a community event like they she spends a week with her sisters and her dad and her cousins all in one house afterward Mm. And Tia mentioned the liminal space. That's kind of what this felt like was like a liminal space for grieving where she she wasn't she didn't go back to college for that week. Like all like nobody was working. Nobody left this house other than to like go for a walk. Um, So it was like, wow, that's on one hand, you're you're surrounded by the fact that you lost this person. On the other hand, you're surrounded by people who are also grieving, who understand what you're going through and who will like like just hold you and you can both cry and that. Oh man, um, that got me. Um, yeah, this was a really good book to read if you've lost someone to cancer, or if maybe if you know that you're going to. Um, and it was just a really honest, unflinching portrayal. Um, and man, like it's just a really accurate representation of how um, people left behind have to continue their lives while still like living with this hole, basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I've read I read in um I really loved it and you know I think we we talked about it on the show I think at one point I think it, we picked it, it it got picked as part of a you know part of a reading challenge yeah. and yeah I, it's it's yeah the it, it to hear the the two descriptions here of like one is like a moment in someone's life like in is a is a very different book uh, obviously than yeah. this this memoir but at the same time like it's I think it's two very accurate even though they're very different portrayals of like how people handle these situations, right? Like, and of course, in is 
I think I don't want to say like it, it was great. This guy just got over, you know, his mom passing yeah. away. Um, because that's not what it is, but it is. It's very interesting. Like, as you know, someone lost someone in my life. You know, like it's weird to think about how much time I spent thinking about that person, and then also how little of time that feels in the grand scheme of things. And that's kind of how it's portrayed in in whereas it sounds like this uh, dancing at the pity party is like the experience of this moment of this week of this thing is like so profound that it is, is an entire books worth of, of discovery or, or discussing and journaling. And um, I find that to be like very helpful. Like again, and this is where, I don't know for me, obviously being comic book obsessed, like books like this are extremely helpful. Yeah. Like, to just process emotions. Yeah. Um, and it's great to hear that we've got not only two, but I know that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of other portrayals um, of people's lives or fiction that can help you maybe understand your grief or relate to someone who is dealing with a similar, you know, grieving situation. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you bringing both of these to the table, especially, I mean, in is like up there, yeah, a book that so like good. knocked me on my pants. I'm so glad that you recommended that book. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Kate, I can't get over that. Um, if only from a, I needed to process some feelings that I didn't know that I had, and that book helped me do good. that. Uh, glad I found so, it. I'm glad I randomly yeah. picked up this book at the library <laughs> yeah. and that it was great. <laughs> Listen, Kate, I forever will count on you. No pressure, but I will forever count on you for doing this, <laughs> for picking picking random books that are really good. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, I guess, you know, Kate, thank you for bringing those. But uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to, to discuss about this topic? I mean, like, obviously, death is a big thing. Um, but were there any other portrayals that uh, uh, you guys wanted to go over here uh, before we wrap up? And if We've not, been that's very okay. thorough. Okay, yeah. good. I, the last thing I'll say then is my boy Gambit one time was Horseman of the Apocalypse <laughs> named Death. So don't ever forget that some <laughs> some writers decide to always forget it and one writer decided to bring it up and then he died in the comic book and then they forgot about it so um just gonna say that but uh yeah i, I appreciate the discussion here both of you um and i will never ever forget this picture of death with big old boobies and a skull mm-hmm. head that i just don't understand why it exists uh so <laughs> uh, so you can have an erection and die at the same yes. time i guess <laughs> Oh, brother. Okay, well, I guess <laughs> next week's show, uh, we're going to be live on Twitch. It's going to be me and Paul and Kate. Uh, I made a cool graphic on Discord, and I feel really proud of it. Uh, I think I'm going to do that from now on to promote the episodes of this show. Although I did find a really cool like Grim Reaper that was from like an old newsprint for this week's episode on Discord. So make sure you're on Discord. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Join the Discord to see these cool little graphics that I apparently am putting together now. Um, we have our Goodreads challenge and our, our bu- monthly book club that we have on Goodreads where you can read a book within our theme we've got our youtube channel make sure to follow us on all the things you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash ircb podcast to get early access to episodes better batmobile ircb movie club today on sunday april 30th we dropped the first episode of a series we're calling mike's x-men blind box which is who knows it's a pilot show if you like it we'll maybe do more um infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music xander is there to catch you when you fall in your dreams i want to say thank you to kate and tia for being on this episode thank you to paul for proof listening thank you to everybody hanging out with us in the discord chat and if you got this far in the episode thank you to you you're fantastic human beings i'm putting a little heart emoji um on this episode just for you so until next time comics are good and so are you 